The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. G'day everyone, Mac19 here and you are listening to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio. And look, tonight, for the first time as official co-host, we have Porsche. Hello. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's um, obviously going to be a, a really uh, big change from having Rick here, so I'll certainly try to talk about what I ate today at some point. <laughs> That's it. And no Jasper Pittard talk. Uh, no, of course not. Absolutely not. And back on the podcast this week, we have Janus. Hello. Welcome back. It's lovely to be here. With such, <laughs> such a fine, such a lovely company. Evening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. That's it. Look, before we get on to the preview of the GWS game on Saturday, uh, we'll talk about the news that um, Brendan Archie has signed a one-year extension um, on his contract, taking him to the end of 2016. Hmm. Um, how do we feel about that? Are we happy with that? Ah. Uh... Yeah, definitely, I would say. Um, one year's... I've never have any real problems with one-year extensions this late in the year. That's that's pretty solid. So um, if he's through to the end of 2016, then that just makes sense. I don't think we could... I think he's one of those players in the category where he's young enough that if we delisted him and drafted again, we probably wouldn't get anyone better. So it's worth keeping in the side, and I think he's got a bit of potential to fill roles that we're a bit weak in right now, such as, um, I suppose, more that... Um, Type of player we missed with Pollock missing most of the year. Um, potentially um, a forward uh, moving uh, midfielder, fringe midfielder. So I think that could be, yeah, I think it's a good move. I'm pretty happy with it. Mm. Yes, I concur. It's also not just a um, a one year contract. I think I read today in someone posted that it's got a performance clause in it to oh, extend okay. it for two years. So yeah, okay. it's like a one plus well, one. So Interesting. it should be good. And he's shown more than um, some of our other fringe players in the limited game time that he's had. And he gets a game this week, so he's got another chance to impress and show us what he's yep. got. But yeah, he's done pretty much all that you could ask for him for someone who was almost on the verge of being delisted or wasn't getting a game for the Magpies. Uh, yep. Was it a year ago or a couple of years ago? And then coming back to actually get a first game for the club this year and continuing on, it shows that we can develop some players from where they were before. Yeah. He's almost there. He, he's got some of the tools uh, to make it in the AFL. Obviously, he's got fantastic handball. He's great in contested situations. Mm. He's a great clearance player, but he really does need to add maybe another string to his bow in terms of um, his ability to play somewhere else. Um, we all know he sort of struggles on a forward flank or a forward pocket as that sort of quasi sort of tall slash uh, medium um, forward, but... You know, he's probably going to have to learn how to play that position um, if he's going to get sort of regular, you know, maybe 20, 20 games a year sort of footy. Um, but look, I, I think it's a great um, extension. Um, I'm a big fan of Arch and, you know, hopefully he can come in this week and, uh, and perform. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I think that um, I think if we're looking at an ideal position for him, it doesn't really exist now, but uh, he's close to being, I suppose... Halfway between wing and centre, like you really just want him going along there, and rather than necessarily being the player that kicks the goals or marks on the forward fifty, but being the deliverer, basically going along that flank or hopefully close to the centre square and through there, I, I think it's probably 
uh, a better spot for him, whereas Vision and Handball will probably have the maximum penetration and add to their attack, which obviously we're quite focused on. I think that's probably yeah. a good role for him to going forward. Yeah, it'd be good at the overlap run. Yeah, yep. That's it. Probably needs to improve his foot skills a little bit, but if he can do that, there's no reason why he can't play a lot of games next year, I would think. Well, foot skills are confidence, aren't they? So um, we'll see how that goes. So where do you think he sits in the uh, the more young um, Archie triangle of doom? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> triangle uh, sort of, of doom. Uh, nearly there, but maybe not sort of uh, inside mids. Oh, okay. Well, he's, the one thing that's really on his side is he's on the right side of 25. Um, if he's on the wrong side, uh, then you start saying, well, got to go, I would I would say. But we seem to give extensions to those sorts of players in recent years, so I'm not too sure. But I think he's in a strong position. He's certainly on the up at this point. And, yeah, I, I've, I think he'll get games next year. And if he doesn't, then it'll be because probably either we brought in someone excellent or we kept someone that we should have probably moved on that might be a bit past and not going to play in our next premiership. Yeah, I'd put him probably just because he's got that um, youth behind him. Yep. Um, probably at the top, but that's the only reason why. You yeah. Know, the, well, other, the other guys should be showing more at this stage of their careers, but Archie has got that youthful exuberance on his side, I believe. Yeah. I don't know that the exuberance really matters, but just the fact that... Um, if you're going to invest in a player, you want to be a player that's going to be around for a while, and um, he can be around for a while. If he, if we don't even need him to be the top player or anything like that, but if he's a solid ten to twenty um, player, preferably, I suppose we really want to look at five to fifteen if we're looking at the long term, and that's really all we could possibly expect, I would say. And if we get that, I think we're pretty happy. So, yeah, I like it. So hmm. on that note, let's uh, talk about the game this weekend. It's uh, obviously Port Play, Greater Western Sydney, this Saturday at Adelaide Oval. We've got a, a 3-1 win-loss record. Um, last time we met was round seven last year, a 35-point win. So it's quite a long time between matches between Port and GWS. Uh, first question I've got is how much uh, of GWS have you seen this year? I've uh, been to one game. Not very okay. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Who was that against? Uh, Melbourne, Melbourne. So obviously, I was going for oh. a really um, blockbuster game that one. Mm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, look, I think that GWS, uh, as a Port Adelaide fan, when you go and see GWS play, you've been there before, and it was in 1997, 1998, and they're just way off it, really, in some respects. Sometimes they show some really good signs, and then they just go back to how do we play football again? And I think we've just seen that consistently all year, inconsistently all year, but consistently inconsistent. So. Um, how they're going to turn out, hard to know. Their season's over, but so is ours. So um, I guess we'll see both teams probably have a good crack at it. Um, but I think that if one side gets a long way ahead, then that'll be the end of it. So, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Janus? Yeah, I haven't seen any of them, so I can't make a comment oh. on how they play. Oh, my God. <laughs> how did you get selected for this preview? Well, it's, a, it's a wonderful <laughs> thing that you're on this podcast then. That's, yeah, well, there you go. No, have you seen Port play this year? Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, I have. There you go. <laughs> I've, I've played some good stuff, but mostly bad. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But um, GWS, I, I, it's very hard to get excited about them. And I, I saw the, the club put out their email today saying, hey, if we get 40-something thousand, we'll maintain our average 
for crowds and it'll look good for us. And it sort of seems like the strongest motivation that anyone could have to go to the game this week. Um, yeah. I don't think that there's going to be much beyond that, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Let's 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 see. Um, hopefully, I, I guess if we uh, have guys like um, yeah the young guys come on, then that'll be really good. So we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I've probably seen maybe six or seven uh, GWS games this year, and they sort of range between. Looking absolutely fantastic and lightning quick, and uh, you know, pretty poor. I mean, they've they've maybe only really had the one poor defeat this year against West Coast uh, earlier in the season, but you know, they've been reasonably competitive all year. They've only won three of the la- their last seven games, I think. Um, so whether they make finals or not, I think it it may hinge on this this week for them. I mean, if they win, you know, they're, they're right back in the mix again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I kind of like the way that they play. They're young, they're quick, they're, they're quite skillful. Um, I guess, uh, talking about the teams, I mean, they're missing their three best midfielders this week in Mumford, Sheila and Trelaw. And they're also mm. missing Cornelio, so they're, uh, uh, they're missing quite a lot of their, um, you know, their inside work there. And, and also they're running carry, quite a lot of skills and, and some goals there. But, you know, they've still got Callum Ward, they've still got Ryan Griffin, uh, they've still got Toby, Toby Green, Devin Smith. So they're still going to have quite a few um, talented players out there in the middle. Yeah, definitely, and um, I, I suppose that uh, they're certainly good enough that we, uh, Port Adelaide, obviously need to take them pretty seriously if we want to try and win. You know, they've got a lot of talent there, a lot of latent uh, potential, and it's just really about them gelling as a team and doing that consistently. So, but realistically, that's kind of what we're at too. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a grab bag, and I guess we'll see what we end up with. Yeah. So they're missing uh, Scully, Canelio, and Trelaw this week. They're out of the, mm. the, uh, the team with uh, with injuries. In comes. The next big thing, Jack Steele, uh, Thomas Bugs back in, and Zach Williams as well. So three smalls come back in, and then we look at uh, at our team, and you know we've made quite a lot of changes. Five changes, some of them I guess a bit controversial. Um, we say goodbye to Andrew Moore, Sam Cahoon, uh, Matty Lobie's out. Um, some would be pretty happy with that, I, I imagine, and Aaron Young as well. But the one that baffles me quite uh, quite significantly is Tom Cleary, who was our best player last week, our only competent defender. And we decide to drop him when we're facing Jeremy Cameron, Cameron McCarthy, John Patton, Rory Lobb up forward. I, I just don't understand it. You'd have to hope it was tactical, really, wouldn't you? Or there's an injury they're trying to hide or something like that. But um, I, I guess when you see these sorts of mystery changes, it's either a sign of genius or idiocy. And um, I guess we'll see what it is on Saturday. But uh, maybe we're just trying to run we're just trying to play that running game and just rely entirely on winning it out of the midfield and hoping that their key forwards don't really matter because they're not getting supply i guess that mm. is really all we can hope for with the team we've named um yeah it's a great way to celebrate a young player's uh, best on ground performance is to make sure they play against Glenelg on friday night that's uh thanks very much <laughs> i'd be too happy about that ah well you know you've got to take Glenelg seriously mm. Uh, yeah, I, I think obviously Cleary has been pretty good, um, but I think he knows he's a developing player and obviously I guess that maybe at some level there's something they want him doing that he's not doing. I don't know what that is, um, but I guess that comes down to team play, so maybe he's playing his own game or something like that. I, I really don't know, but um, I'm sure there's a reason and I'd love to know what it is. It's one of those times you'd really like to sit in the selection table and hear what's going on because it doesn't make a lot of sense from the outside unless there's something that we don't know, really. I think that's what it comes down to. We just, there must be something we don't know. Yes. Yeah, all I, I, I can just, just intimate exactly what you just said because I can't think of any reason why 
you would drop him after that performance and say and bring back Tom Jonas of all people to like I guess take his place on the side when he wasn't playing that well and apparently he wasn't playing that well in the SNFL and in the selection thread on the board all I'm trying to do is come up with some sort of reason as to why anyone would do that you know but I can't I can't think of it other than the run factor, like pressing forward, like into the midfield and stuff. And maybe he wasn't providing that. And then we want to go for that complete and utter domination in terms of, oh, we'll run off these defenders because, I mean, run off these forwards because they're not mobile and, you know, we'll burn them that way because if they mark the ball, they're going to kick it goals anyway. So we'll just go completely our way. You know what I mean? Rather than trying to yeah. negate what they're trying to do, just mm. go completely the opposite way and just go full on. But then you hear Hinkley tonight on the radio and he's talking about how it's supposed to be team defence and that's yeah. what we want to be known for. So you don't know what the what the thing is. But unfortunately, we're not on the selection panel, so I guess we'll never know unless we corner one of the selection people and ask them to tell us the truth. I've got two thoughts look, on that. The, um, the but... thing you really want to do when you're, uh, when you're playing footy and you want sort of pace and endurance and lots of run and carry from defence, is dropping Tommy Cleary, who's, what, in the, the third or fourth fittest player at the club, and bringing in Tommy Jonas. That's exactly <laughs> okay. what you want to do, isn't it? So, this so that was the first it. thing I wanted to bring up, is that I think I'm the last person alive that still likes Tom Jonas as a player. Um, I don't know why everyone's turned on him so horribly, but also, we're bringing Jonas in, and I think this might actually talk about Hinkley's view on playing your first team, and unfortunately it's something that we last saw under Choco, um, where he had his guys and he would invest everything in them because he has faith in them to perform, and quite honestly, Tom Jonas, under Hinkley, he's been one of those guys, and I suppose he's, we knew he wasn't going to learn anything at NFL level, so he's got to come back to the top level, and um, yeah, Cleary's out, and I'm sure Cleary understands, he knows he's not first in line or second in line or third in line, on, an, on a good day when everyone's vaguely on form, he's definitely fourth in line, so maybe it's as simple as that, and that um Hinkley's putting faith in the defence that he's wanted at the start of the year and uh, he's giving them a chance to perform now that they're all back together again, I suppose. I could understand Cleary getting dropped if we were facing a team which had just the two tall forwards, you know, maybe like Essendon or someone like that. Then mm-hmm. I would say, you know, fair enough, horses for courses, he's unlucky, he misses out because, you know, Holmes shouldn't trend over ahead of him in the pecking order. Fair enough. But when you're facing Jeremy Cameron and Jonathan Patton and Cameron McCarthy... And the likelihood of arresting Ruckman up there as well, which GWS have done quite a lot um, in yeah. recent times. It's just a baffling decision to drop a key defender who was best on ground last week and have us go up undermanned in defence. I just don't understand it. I don't know who Jonas is going to play on, to be honest. I'm, I'm not really sure there's a, a, a fine matchup for him. I really don't know which one of those four players that he's going to play on. I think that's what it comes down to, though, is that we're talking about team defence. And um, if you want to talk about putting big bodies back there, I think that uh, off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure that every one of those key forwards you named is taller than their equivalent defender in Port Adelaide. So it's not going to be about the height. It's going to be about the supply and controlling that and controlling the territory. Um, So for that sort of thing, you generally want uh, an experienced player. Um, Homsch has got that, Trengo's got that, Jonas has got that. And obviously we've got, what, we've got the three halfbacks again now. We've got Cam O'Shea, Jasper Futard, um, Nathan Cracker. Um, you know, Matthew Broadbent, 
it's pretty clear, I think, in that respect, how we're intending to have our defence plan, that is to cut off territory and rebound and not worry so much about them taking marks against us in the forward line because we're hoping that they won't have the opportunity to. We'll, we'll frustrate their supply and then uh, frustrate their ability to be in the right position. And you don't need height for that, you just need body, and I suppose that is possibly the one area where Jonas has an edge on Cleary is just the ability to be a bit of a pain in the ass and get in the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. But we've got an overloaded backline, basically. We're bringing in um, mm. Cracker on top of keeping uh, Broadbent and Pittard, um, we, we, and keeping O'Shea in as well. We are absolutely set to intercept and rebound and cut off as much as possible. We're going to see, in full force, we're going to full force. We're going to see the this, um, the halfback attack potentially from us this week. We're, this is the most we've had all year, I think, in terms of that sort of halfback attack. We've got MP and Jonas on the bench at the moment as well, so. Yeah. We're essentially playing eight defenders, which is um, which is a little yeah. bit baffling as well. But maybe we'll see MP play out forward. Maybe we might see Cracker play out forward as well. Um, you never know. Yeah, maybe. I, I think I think they'll play in defence. I think we'll just have a very defensive game from our perspective. Mm. Lots of wing backs. Lots of wing backs, and Monfrey's back in also gives us that option to just have hardly anyone in the forward line and just try and run in, which we don't like watching, but it's what we do. <laughs> We've seen uh, Gus Monfries have a massive game in the SNFL last week. I think he had 26 touches and four goals. Do we think he'll play more of an attacking, aggressive game this week, or do we think he'll play um, his usual sort of defensive job on Heath Shaw? I think he'll have an opportunity to be attacking, but I don't think it'll be leading from the forward line to the midfield. I think it'll probably be the old trick of sort of starting around our def- the, the defensive side of half forward and then trying to run onto the ball as it gets kicked forward from a long way back. Um, with that number of defenders, like we discussed, that means there's going to be a, a higher proportion of Port Adelaide players in that defence, which means our forward line is going to have a lot of space to work in if uh, the matchups are good. And I think that's where he's going to be used, basically, just running into space like he has done in the past. And I suppose, like we've seen with Port Adelaide sides for a long time, going back to take Cockatoo Collins from memory. So, um, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Janus? <laughs> 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 I'm just, I'm just, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. I, can, I, um, too fast I would, yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's exactly what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can't see Montfries going back to that defensive lockdown role. I think, I don't know. You, you would like to think that he's got more strings to his bow than just doing that. I know he's been good at it this season, but he was dropped because he's not producing numbers you know yep. so maybe going back into the snfl has woken him up to realize the fact that he's not getting any younger and he needs to pull his finger out i guess and do more than just defending as a forward you know so if we're going to do as porsche says the hot put him and make him run from the from the back lines into the midfield kind of like chad wingard does i guess he goes into the backs and does that sort of like pushes through and links up and stuff when he's doing that thing. If they could swap those two players together, I can see that working like Wingard and Monfries are like swapping back and forth. Um, but yeah, I would hope that he would have more of an influence over a young GWS than just having to lock down Heath Shaw and take him out of the game. Yeah, that's fair enough. I guess uh, the next player to talk about is Matthew Loby, who's been omitted. Um, some would say that's a good thing. Some would say it's um, too little, too late, I guess, in terms of a selection thing. 
Um, so we're going back to our old structure from last year with just the one Ruckman um, and the two tall forwards as well. Um, is this a good thing? Is Matty Loby unlucky or is this uh, you know, something that's been coming for a long time? I think it's very much something that's been coming for a long time. Um, he's we've talked basically about how he's almost turned into Steve McKay pretty much, um, just being a, a body in the midfield that's quite tall and gets in the way, um, which he's done most of the year, I think. Um, he's had yep. a few good things, but that's pretty pretty much it. So um, <laughs> there's not a lot of room for Steve McKay in a side. Um, Steve McKay, that's going back. That's a good yeah. call, actually. He has played very, very similar to Steve McKay this year. Yeah, well, extremely. Um, I mean, we've talked about him being a negating Ruckman, effectively, and that's what he's sort of turned into because he hasn't really been getting effective taps to the extent that we'd want, and he's not a marker, except when we all go, oh, my God, he marked. Um, yeah, he's, that's really... He's not got a lot of strings to his bow. If it's because he's got an injury or something, that's absolutely fine, but um, we just don't need him in the side in that form. Um, just got to hope that we've got Ruckman that can sort of come along and fill in <laughs> eventually. Yeah, if he's not um, taking marks or doing anything up forward in terms of like providing a presence up there like Ryder does, then he's pretty much useless to our structure going forward because he doesn't have that extra string to his bow that's going to make him an automatic selection, which is a shame because I think Ken really likes him in terms of his tactical mm. now and stuff. Right? I think because I remember when... He was coming back into the side. King goes, oh, I love having Lowe's back because he's like another he's like another captain or another tactician on the field. He can point and you know show people where to go and whatever. But for whatever reason, maybe he's been concentrating on that too much this year, and rather than actually concentrating on his own game and making sure that he's doing that properly, I don't know. But yeah, uh, unless I, he's going, sorry. No, uh, I kind of think he was one of those character recruits that we like to do in that he, I mean, he, everything you hear about Matthew Lobby says that he's an absolutely serious hard worker. Um, and it's really hard for a coach to not appreciate that, I think, um, mm. when they've got something they want to communicate. So I think that's probably a large part of why Hinkley is generally willing to back him in. And uh, certainly everything, you know, he says you, you get what you deserve. And I think that he kind of feels that if you work hard, then obviously you probably deserve a bit of a shot. So maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Maybe we're looking at uh, what the side's going to be like if we trade him out for Charlie Dixon. <laughs> well, that, was, that was that was my next uh, that was my next question was um, is his spot on the list actually in danger if we do end up landing Charlie Dixon? Is there a spot for Matthew Loby in the power lineup next year? I can't imagine why there wouldn't be. Um. Yeah, uh, really, uh, we have shown again this year that we need multiple Ruckman. Redden not being available most of the year is sort of, that's basically what's caused us having such a loyalty to Lobby is the fact that we haven't really had options. So I don't think you could argue that it's a good idea to not keep options if we're talking about, you know, just moving on for a, a crappy pick. Um, if it was part of the Dixon trade, yeah, okay, but... Um, I can't see why we wouldn't want to keep Lobby. We'd certainly still need to have a reasonable offer for him, though obviously his form this year would make any offers pretty small. Um, but I, I don't see that it threatens his spot. It probably threatens Redden's spot, but maybe, I don't know. Hard to say. If we get Dixon and Schultz stays, does that put Lobby's spot under question? <sighs> No, because it's not... They don't play rock. I mean, you know, not really. Not the, well, not, Dixon, still need... 
Are you talking? Yeah, no, but we need we need a we need a key ruckman, like the, the main ruckman. Like, you know, we, it's okay to have an alternate. We've got a couple of alternates, but you still need a, a guy that they are a ruckman. That's what they're there for. I don't know. I feel that well, anyway. That, that's what Patrick Ryder is. Are you talking is best twenty two, or I'm on the list? About on the list, like if we get Dixon, is trading Matthew Loby something that might actually happen? It could happen. But I would not say that the bringing on of Dixon is what will precipitate that. I think we can have okay. both. Mm. Yep. Yes. Yep. Mm. That's fair enough. Have we missed the boat by not bringing in um, uh, someone like Frampton this week or Harvey uh, for a debut? I think it's pretty clear that Ken wants to win this week. Um whether it's because it's something that he just wants to do for general principle or if he wants to make a big focus of winning home games. Because um, I think Archie got his debut away from Adelaide as well, and there's probably a lot of them that do. Um, I don't know whether it's just that focus on we want to win at home um, that'll keep the crowds happy, it'll keep the memberships rolling in next year. Um, a lot of teams have done worse than to try and win every game at home. So I think it's just that we really want to win this week. But um, next week, we're away next week. If we're away next week, we might get a shot then, I guess. I don't know. Against Hawthorne. Mm. Yeah, why not? <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> but how good would that be for a first game, though? <laughs> yeah, 165 points, bring it on. <laughs> Let's ask Johnny Butcher how he feels about um, playing Hawthorne away in a first game. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Speaking oh, well. of which, Johnny Butcher is uh, one of the emergencies. Um, and look, we've spoken a lot about the defence so far this podcast, but do we see the possibility of Johnny Butcher being a late inclusion into the team as that fourth toll defender or third toll defender? I don't think it matches the rest of the team, which we've already said we're trying to go for pace, and I'm not sure that he's got the pace and, more importantly, the composure to perform when he's at pace. Yeah. You could you could say that, like, if it happens, you wouldn't be overly shocked but I couldn't see it happening I'd be pretty shocked (laughs) (laughs) honestly I would be I'd be absolutely shocked I'm I'm going to be shocked if he plays again this year I'm going to be shocked if he plays another game for Port Adelaide quite frankly and I think everyone kind of should be Um, yeah if if he's only getting games this time of year his place on the list is very weak unlike uh, Lobby um, I would say that uh, he's in very much in trade bait land at this point and uh, mm. yeah if he gets a game I'll, I'll be amazed honestly absolutely yep so where to now for Andrew Moore and Aaron Young I don't know what happened with Youngie um, I think he's still got a, a good amount of potential um, more I'd love to see if we could get anything for him but I doubt we can um, I know that every year I know last year Rick was very keen on trading out Young and that might have actually been the time I don't know um, but, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's worth keeping on the list because he's a fringe player. Uh, we won't get much for him. And there are other players that we could do list if we're going to give people away for nothing. I don't think we... I think Young has an extra year in his contract, doesn't he? He does. Uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty, yeah. yeah. So That simplifies it. Yeah. The only thing I can think of with Aaron Young... Um, a lot of people think I don't actually like him. I actually really like him as a player, but I just think he's just got that, I don't know, that malaise of 
you know, near enough being good enough. And you could just, sometimes he's like, he needs to be on the edge basically all the time. So possibly you could do an Adam Kingsley to him and sort of oh. like say, well, drop him to the rookie list for a year and say, well, this show us that you can actually like work hard and, you know, get there and take a, <clears throat> take the opportunity when it comes to you. Because he did it, he did it against North Melbourne, had a fantastic game, but then steadily since after that, it just dropped off every single time until he was out of the team, you know. Yeah. And you want him to be improving every single game, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that Adam Kingsley was a, a very different sort of case, though, because he'd already won best and fairest, you know. Um, he'd uh, had a pretty good career before he had his big dip and then got that nasty shock. Whereas Young is just really someone that. He hasn't also didn't have to work as hard as Kingsley did to get in the side. Like Kingsley, we recruited as a mature player, effectively from Essen reserves, um, yeah. and so he already had had a taste of. Gosh, this is what life without football is like. Whereas Aaron Young's never had that, and I think that's the key ingredient as to what made Adam Kingsley really come back and work his ass off. Mm. Um, and it's certainly what's happened with Nathan Cracker as well. You know, when he drafted him, he was just like, oh yeah, eighteen year old, why not? Let's have a go. And now he's come back and he's pretty determined because he knows what it's like not having football when the best thing you do is football. So yeah. uh, it's hard to do it with a young player that were drafted at 18 and he stayed on the list. And here endeth Porsche's Adam Kingsley lecture. <laughs> I, could, I could go more. <laughs> uh, one of your favourite topics and players, good old Kinga. Bombscare bomb himself. Oh, good old Bombscare. He was the best. Uh, no, um, Adam Kingsley's the player I hold up when anyone criticises me of not liking halfback flankers. <laughs> <laughs> Makes Cam O'Shea look super composed back there sometimes. Oh, well, Cam, let me just make this clear. Cam O'Shea is super composed back there sometimes. Absolutely. True. Hmm. true. That is true. Yes. So what are we expecting the outcome to, for this game? Are we expecting a win? Um, is it going to be a tough game? I think this is the game where we see if Leon Cameron, uh, if Leon Cameron can coach. Um, okay. be- because I think we've stated very clearly with our selections how we're going to play. And so he's basically been told, here, we're Port Adelaide, you know how we play. We've selected so that we're super, super going to play that way. What are you going to do about it? And if he can't do something mm. about it, then he's nothing as a coach, <laughs> I would say. Um, we- we've laid all our cards on the table, so it's up to him to produce and up to him to get his side to produce. So... I think that from a coaching perspective, I think he's got a lot on the line this week, even if he doesn't realise it. I think Port probably not so much, but we'll see. Um, so I'm expecting it to be... Uh, uh, I think it's going to be a coach's game, really. The players will do their bit, obviously, but I think it's going to come down to um, who is delivering their message best to their players. So it'll be yep. interesting, and I think there'll probably be a few good um, shots of uh, coaches in the box this week. Yeah, we'll see if um, the pl- the people on the forum who consider themselves to be coaches and know what they the team or know what's wrong with the team, what should be happening. We'll see if they can uh, show us, like show Ken exactly what he should have been doing if it didn't work out the way it's supposed to. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And look, as I said before, I mean, they really do need to win this week if they are to maintain mm. a, a chance of making the finals. I mean, you would expect the Crows to win. You'd expect Richmond to win. Um, Geelong play Hawthorne. I mean, that's probably their, their chance to maybe um, step above them into ninth spot on the ladder. Um, 
uh, and give themselves a bit of a chance of making uh, the finals for the first time. Yeah. I, I don't think they've got a great chance of that. But, um, yeah, they've certainly got more on the line when need it than we do. But, of course, that can be a huge strength um, when you don't have anything on the line. You've got every, nothing to, to fear. If that's the reason why you're missing out, it's just that high expectation and no one's got expectations of you anymore, then, yeah, you can certainly perform. So I think we're certainly the danger side to them. And uh, yeah. I, I, I would love to know if they are hungry enough to really try and push us down, but I don't think they are. Um, and also, well, they've the, got Carlton and Melbourne in the last two games, so there is a chance there that they can actually still make the finals. So they do play Sydney next week, so I don't know, maybe a shock win there uh, might put them in the box seat. Yeah, it would be a, a real shock win um, because I think Sydney um, are very territorial and I think they love nothing better than trying to beat the crap out of GWS, even though they're not really a major threat. But just because yep. they want to stamp that the Sydney is still their city forever and ever, I'm in, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, Carlton, I don't know if that's going to be a, an easy one for them. Um, I think they're playing certainly better than they were at the start of the year. And uh, yeah, I, I think they've got a little bit more to play for. Um, certainly with the coaches, I've got a little bit more to try and prove in the side, so that's good. Um, yeah. Melbourne, they can probably beat Melbourne, let's be realistic. GWS has more to play for in terms of finals and stuff, but I think we've got just as much in terms of just pride and performance and, I don't know, showing something to give the supporters hope that this year isn't going to be such a way... More, how can I put it? Like, not such a waste in terms of they've actually, you know, you can see something to look forward to for the next season. You know, that's what I'm looking forward to for these next four games. It's going to be something that, and I guess that's the reason why people are saying, oh, we should pick, you know, Frampton or Harvey or whoever. They want to get some sort of hope, just like we played John Butcher that, those games when he debuted. Debuted in, when was it? 2011. 11, yeah. Same sort of thing. And like, oh, yeah, well, it was a crap season, but at least we've got this happening. Well, what I want to see is it was a crap season, but at least we've learnt from it and actually started to, you know, at least we can still be a team that's probably going to be up there pretty soon into, um, in terms of competing for a flag and stuff. And hopefully we're still around in our premiership window when they're coming up as well. So you want to keep those particular teams, I don't know, get some sort of wood on them, I guess. You know what I'm, what I'm trying to say? Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I think that that's not necessarily, uh, I don't think that that really holds true, that it's something that really carries over into finals in any case. Like, um, haven't we beaten North Melbourne in finals pretty much exclusively? Um, I'd, really it's good but the finals is always different to the regular season um and all the hoodoos change and everything uh but as far as doing changes to give side hope and hoping that the players will play to give the, the the crowd hope i really hope that's not a concern for them um i think that the best reason to play guys like frampton is because it's just good list management to turn the unknowns into quantifiables by playing a couple of the young blokes so you know where your list is at when you're going into the uh, list change period, basically. Uh, I think that's really... It's very cynical and it's kind of boring, but I think that's the reason why you, you bring players in so you can see if they are capable of those things you didn't know before now, such as are they able of keeping... Are they able to keep up with the pace of the game? Are they able to follow what's happening? Um, is 
something that they can overcome? Uh, are their weaknesses exposed in a particular way that we can therefore train for in future seasons? There's lots of really practical reasons to play young blokes at this time of year, um, and hope is not really one of them. Um, I, I really would hope, that, I would really hope that they're not doing it for that reason. Um, if they do it, uh, it's great and it's nice for fans, but um, it's more important for fans to think that their side is being managed well, and I think that's really what it's got to come down to. But certainly if we get to the end of the year and we haven't played any young blokes and we've lost the next, what, three, four games, then, um, yeah, we should be pretty angry. Yeah. Well, as I said on the forum during the week, it's it's hard to really know what to take out of this year. Obviously, we were one of the premiership favourites. We're not going to make the finals. That's uh, super disappointing in itself. But probably the more disappointing thing for me is that we haven't really had any of our sort of second or third string stand up and be you know, become a, a regular part of the team. Just about every single player that we've got who's on that sort of fringe has played good games and poor games. They haven't cemented themselves in the side. I'm talking about you know, guys like Kane Mitchell, Sam Gray, uh, Jakey Need, Cam O'Shea, Paul Stewart, Andrew Moore, Brendan Archie, Carl Amon. They've all showed glimpses, but none of them have really taken their chance. And this was probably a year, um, given how poor we've been, where you really want one or two of those guys to, to stand up and say, hey, we're going to be long-term AFL players, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, look, I, I totally agree with that, unfortunately. Um, I actually was sorting through some old uh, Port Adelaide stuff um, the last couple of weeks, and unfortunately I didn't keep the, it around with me. It's been packed away again. But I read a, a Magpie News from 1986, and it had a really great column from John Wood um, talking about uh, the problems with the Port Adelaide side and how the players are sort of losing focus in games and they're very frustrated. And that was in 1986. Um, so if you want to look at whether the current form is something that's going to be a predictor of our um, future premiership form, then honestly, uh, I read, what I read in 1986, it's almost identical to now. So we're coming into one of the best premiership runs of a lifetime, I would have thought. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think that this is the sort of thing that you're going to see with a, a side that's developing. Um, and as much as we're not one of the youngest sides in the AFL anymore, I think that we're still certainly on the rise. We do have some structural weaknesses in our side, and I think if we did get Charlie Dixon going back on that, that could solve uh, one of them, um, certainly the biggest one. And apart from that, if we have uh, a decent forward line set up, then it's really just about accessorising it with um, players that you can get very cheaply through trade and free agency. So, um, yeah, I, I I take a lot of um, I take this performance this year with a grain of salt. I think it's just one of those inconsistencies you're going to see. Um, for another example, I suppose would be Brisbane Lions or Brisbane Bears. I suppose I should say, um, what 1996 was it that they finished in the prelim? Was it 96 or 95? Yep. 96. Yeah, and 96, and then they merged with Fitzroy and sort of tanked and were kind of rubbish, and then they went into an absolutely glory run. So, it's I think it's a common thing to see among premiership future premiership sides. Um, Geelong, another one, um, when they had their city year, when they got um, Joel Selwood right before they had their their, their glory run, where they were just super inconsistent, but you could see some good things coming on. Um, I'd love to see a couple more good things coming on from us this year to really say that we're in that sort of boat, but this is really... I haven't seen anything this year that hasn't told me um, that we are still kind of on trap, on track for a potential top four premiership run. So that's, I think that's something to take out of the season. I mean, I think that probably making the finals in 2013 and 2014 the way we did with pretty much, we didn't really have that many injuries. Like we had a few, but when we did, mm. we managed to get through it, you know, 
and splutter through it. And then when we got our, all our full complement back, we had a good run. I think that might have actually hindered us a little bit in terms of our list development because it doesn't, it didn't expose our depth to any sort of games. So that's the sort of things that they're doing now. So they've had two years of pretty much doing nothing because the first team's been there all the time. And then the first team this year has been playing poorly and these guys have been brought in to say, oh, well, let's see what you can do. But they're like, well, hang on. These guys are playing poorly too and you're expecting me to do something fantastic, but I'm only a pick whatever, pick 30 or whatever. Whereas if we had gone from a more of a, I guess, a slow linear progression from 2012 to 2013 to like finished like 13th, 14th, something like that, you know, and then the next year made finals and then gone up that way, you would have got the lower draft picks that you needed to improve your depth, you know? Yeah. I, I think that if you're looking through the history of premiership signs, I don't think any of them, I reckon there would be not a single one that's had a linear goes, progression year to year yeah, from yeah. bottom to premiership. Um, they all have ups and downs. West Coast is phenomenally commonly seem to have those really what the fuck's going on years and then they have their premiership years and there's big not really not much in between um so i I don't think we can expect that sort of linear progression as much as it seems logical because i suppose advances come in leaps and bounds like technology and all the other things inventions basically um when you've got an edge you've got an edge and you can exploit it for everything it's worth and when you don't have an edge you've got nothing um and it's particularly in a a talented competitive elite competition so um yeah I, i don't, I think we will always see ups and downs, and I think this has just been one of the downs while we, as you say, um, hopefully develop the list a bit better, um, get better at what we're doing, and retool for the next attempted premiership run with a slightly, hopefully, revised game plan, and hopefully more well, steady. That's what happened with West Coast in, like, was it 2010 mm. that they made the prelim or something like that? Mm. And they just lost it to Collingwood or whatever it was. And then they had injuries, and people didn't play. Like, Hearn got injured, and Natanui was out for yep. a bit, and... You know, and then look at them now, like that's in within what, three years or yeah. four years yep. or whatever. Same sort of thing that happens. They just regenerate their list and then come back and then everyone's like, Oh wow, look at West Coast, go good that well even with the key defenders out and stuff. So you're right, it doesn't happen linear in a, on a linear progression, I'm just saying that in a perfect world it would. But yeah, you know, yeah. you take you you take your advantages when you can. I, think. I mean Hawthorne's but, 2008 is probably an example of linear progression. I mean, they didn't really have any downspot, but then the 08 Premiership was a bit of a surprise, I guess, um, from where Hawthorne came from. And maybe North Melbourne, 96. I don't don't think they really had any sort of drop-off. They were sort of consistently almost there and then just managed to go the next step the next year. Um, but I do agree, I mean, success isn't linear and, you know, these sort of down spots are almost expected sometimes, but... I guess it depends how we uh, how we come out of this year, and that's probably why it's so disappointing that we haven't had any of the young guys really sort of stand up and, and make a real name for themselves outside of maybe Cleary, who looks like he's ready to play regular AFL footy. Crack has come in and, and shown that he can play AFL footy as well. Uh, but you, you look back to 2000 when we had our really bad year after we made the finals in 99, and, you know, we had Chad Corns play 21 games. You know, we had Josh Carr play 14 games. Um, you know, Matty Bishop came to the club and played 14 games. Brent mm. Guerra played 10. You know, Poulton played 20. And they, they all became fairly regular players over that sort of successful period. Yep, no, absolutely. Um, 
I don't think we haven't had a lot of list change, I suppose, since last year. Realistically, um, brought in Ryder, and that's about it. Uh, so, yeah, I guess in that respect, we haven't really added to our list uh, depth at all, really, this year. Um, but who knows? This off season might be the year we do it. Um, I guess that after the trading way draft picks, we probably want to keep some or even get some, uh, and that can bring change, I suppose, with it. But um, yeah, I think if we did get Charlie Dixon, then we'd be doing sort of what we did under Choco, where we're trading the future for now. And I'm really worried about the fact that you can trade future year draft picks. I think that's going to be a huge mistake from the AFL. I think it's going to be a phenomenally bad idea. Um, and I really hope we don't get sucked into doing it. <laughs> mm. yeah. It's going to be interesting. I guess I, I really just hope that this year we would have seen, bang, you know, Aaron Young, 22 games, regular yeah. AFL performer. You know, Jakey Need after his finals last year. You know, he come on and, you know, maybe be a 30-goal-a-year forward. Um, you know, Cam O'Shea get some consistency to his game. Brennan Archie maybe play 15 or 16 games. Andrew Moore, you know, look like the player that um, we all really, really hoped that he would become, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. But, you know, it just hasn't happened. So hopefully next year um, some of these guys um, in the off-season will realise that, you know, success can't be taken for granted. Uh, you do actually have to work really hard for it every single year and, Hopefully we can come back. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I think that a lot of the you know things stopping players like Aaron Young playing 20 games is uh, we haven't just stuck with them. Um, we've brought in like we, we we keep a lot of backups for positions that we I don't I argue we don't really need backups. Um, and I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Paul Stewart, classic example. Um, we could have put more games into Young, even if he was maybe not entirely deserving of them, but we started bringing in old guys that are not going to really do much. Um, Tom Logan's been the guy we've used that for in the past, and the only way you get a side full of young blokes that are all getting a lot of experience up quickly is if you don't keep around the, the just-in cases that are over 25 and have limited upside, uh, and especially you don't play them. So I think that's, that's a list management issue as much as anything as to why... Um, certainly those opportunities aren't necessarily there for young players to come in and do that because when you have the older players on your list, it's really, really tempting every week to pick them um, just for that slightly, slight bit more experience and that slightly level ahead. Um, and uh, I think that's a, a crutch. that could, We certainly are in a position that we should be trying to avoid it at this point. Yeah, you don't want to uh, overrate consistency over talent or skill level. Yeah. Which is, I think that's what we do quite a bit, you know, like... To, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, we've got to keep an eye on potential um, in mm. future years. Like, it's 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 good for the coach to be the chief selector and pick for this week, um, but there needs to be an element in there that sort of talks about what are we going to do the next year, the year after, the year after that. And that also forms part of selection, I feel, and I don't know if our structure supports that. Um, yeah, I don't know. But back when the coach had control over recruitment, I suppose, to a large extent as well, then there was probably a bit more focus on lists being managed that way. And I don't know if that's the, the modern style. So um, I don't know whether it's a flaw or if I'm just reading this wrong. Mm. So you mentioned the uh, potential for clubs to trade future draft picks, which seems like it's going to come in or, or has been accepted as coming in. Um, so what are your opinions on that, Portia? Um, I think it's a really bad idea because what it's going to do is it's going to... Okay, right now, before this rule comes in, if we want to say, oh, we need Patrick Ryder, and then Essendon say, oh, we want 10 billion draft picks, and we say, we don't have them, mate. Take what you get. 
Um, they'll now say, oh, well, we'll give you your next year ones. And we certainly, sure as hell, don't want to give up our next year ones just to get a guy like Patrick Ryder as much as he's a good player. So it's given, I suppose, sellers more things that they can demand from the people they're trading with. So that's that's a concern for a club that's wanting to pick up players. Um, uh, and I suppose the other real issue I see going forward is the fact that um, some clubs will do it. So Essendon, all, oh, the classic example back in the day when Essendon managed to trade off Danny Jacobs to Hawthorne for pick six in the draft or something horrible. Um, you know, we'll see horribly one-sided trades where a bottom feeder club right down the bottom, like I'm talking about D's sort of thing, where they want to bring in their big name recruit and they'll trade all their future draft picks and this year's draft picks. They'll get their one recruit, they'll be okay, and then their list will just go to shit because they don't have the young blood coming in that they need to have come in. And so they'll finish down the bottom, we'll go back to priority pick land, except the priority pick will only, only be replacing their normal picks, and we'll see um, any flaws in list management at any given club um, being superbly, enormously exposed to a larger extent than they can possibly be right now, with a longer period in which they would need to um, hold steady and try to recover, because instead of waiting one year for next year's draft picks, they're going to have to wait two years for their first first-round draft pick after a bad trade. Um, and bad trades will always happen. So I, I think it's a bad idea. I think that it's going to cause bad teams to make bad errors and it's going to cause aggressive traders to get what everything they want. Nice. Well said, Janus. <laughs> Sorry. Do you want okay, to follow argue, up on that? How or? could you argue with that? Um, yeah, no. Nah, you, couldn't, you couldn't argue with that. Like, yeah. You can imagine people, a coach who's like um under the pump they need to get some make a mm. big splash the next year and they're like oh need to get memberships and the ceo's down there let's get let's go for yep. jeremy cameron or something like that okay we'll yep. trade our first round draft pick from this year and next year and then you know gws has like two draft picks each both year and they become more powerful in this other club and then the guy does his knee or something like that you know yeah um I can just imagine that sort of stuff happening. The only reason why it works in a in places like the NFL draft and things like that, which is probably where they're looking at, is they've got the ability to trade all the way up to selection. So you can yeah, that's right. change things around. Like if you say, oh, this person's taken this. Oh, this player's still available. Let's make it a deal with this thing. These guys need this guy more. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's like that movie draft yeah. day with Costner. Same yeah. sort of thing. The, if you could do something like that and get like three first round draft picks or something like that, you know, that'd be good. But you can't do that sort of the stuff. Other thing the, the other thing the NFL has that's really important that could improve this is that they have conditional picks that you can trade. So, for example, you trade a player to a club and they'll say, okay, we'll give you a first round pick for him straight up. And then mm. if he plays 20 games in this year, we'll give you a second round pick. If any plays five games because he's crap, we'll, we'll give you a, like a fourth round pick or something like that. So it's a conditional mm. trade stated up front. And that protects you to some extent from those sort of horror trades where we talk about, you know, you recruit the best player in the league and then they break their leg and they're out for two seasons because obviously that conditional pick will be um, practically nothing if there's anything at all if you organise that sort of trade. Mm -hmm. That's a, that is a sort of complexity that the AFL should be looking at adding because it enables trades that are more resistant to risk. Uh, and that is certainly um, a problem in the AFL right now is just that, resist is that resistance to risk where... Um, a club will trade you a uh, Nathan Thompson that's got depression um, and not tell you, and then you are screwed. Um, mm. Yeah. You wonder why they brought it in particularly this year. 
Like, what was the particular reason they said, oh, yeah, we're going to bring in future draft pick training, which is what some lots of people have been asking for for a, a long time now. I mean, obviously, they probably want more of the NFL version of it to come in, but is it because GW, GWS is, like, starting to lose players now and there, but they're guys like, um, yep. is it for yep. law that's going this year or that everyone's talking about? Was it him? Mm. Most likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're like, oh, GWS, you know, oh, he's worth two first-round draft picks, you know, and people say, well, we don't have them, and especially especially uh, clubs like Hawthorne or Collingwood or whoever, no one's going to want to facilitate a trade just to get them to get other draft picks and stuff. So, but Mm -hmm. I I think you could probably, if you're a Premiership side, you could probably clean up. Because you could say, oh, look at this premiership best 22 player. You know, he played in our premiership. Oh, that's worth two first-round draft picks to some club like Melbourne or Gold Coast or whoever. You know what I mean? But the lesser clubs won't be able to do that, unfortunately. Mm. I think it's probably just a case of the AFL bowing down to the AFLPA once again. I think it's probably the Players Association that has helped push this through. I think Mm. um, you look at situations like... Daniel Gorringe last year, who, you know, we were trying very hard to get, but we didn't have the picks. If we were able to trade a second-round pick um, from 2016 draft, the trade would have been done. Gorringe would have got what he wanted. The AFL would have been happy. Both clubs would have been happy. In the end, the trade didn't happen. You know, Gorringe was drastically upset, you know, and it's just bad PA for for the AFL, I think. So I think it's probably the AFL Players Association that has really helped push this through to try and get those trades where a player is adamant that they want to go, um, but maybe all the tools mm. aren't there for the trade to actually happen. Um, now there's really probably no excuse for these sorts of trades to get done. That's probably the reason why they've said you can either trade your first round draft pick next year or your second and third rounders, but you can't do all of them. Yeah. You know, so it's like a case yeah. of, oh, with those players who are on the fringe and stuff, you know, but they're worth maybe a third rounder or a second rounder and you don't have them anymore, oh, we can get them. And then if you really want to make a blockbuster deal and get yourself a Jeremy Cameron, for example, then you can say, well, I'll give you pick seven and pick our first round draft pick for next year, you know, and do it that way because you think you're that close to a flag based on that particular player. Mm. But Yeah. It's, or if it you is, can't, it is that's probably something that you do. I mean, you, you give up pick two this year and pick four next year for Jeremy Cameron, and you do it, and GWS would be laughing all the way to the back. Um, yeah. I think that the other thing that... I think it comes back to the GWS losing players and, I suppose, Gold Coast losing players thing mostly because all that's going to happen in some respects is that um, you always keep next year's first-round draft pick around. Um, so after this first year, everyone... Yes, absolutely, this year, right now, this very season... Everyone has a first-round pick this year available and a first-round pick next year available. But next year, um, players can name a specific side and they might have traded their pick for next year already this year. Um, and so we're still back, back in that exact same situation where GWS is losing a player to, I don't know, Melbourne next year. And Melbourne's already traded this year's first-round draft pick away and next year's draft round pick away. So all they've got is a future year's draft pick, which is even worse than if they've only had this year's because then GWS would have to wait a year. So, um mm. And then old mate Gill comes over the top and says, oh, I'll give you a priority pick since you don't have any left. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah. stuff. That's how it works. It's. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like um, I don't know a lot about Mark Evans, but everything he says just seems to be complete and utter tripe. Um, and it doesn't seem like he considers the impact of the things he suggests in his media releases. And I think this is probably related to those in that he hasn't really thought about the complexity of the rules he's introducing and what impact they're going to have, not just on players, but also on clubs and um, the management of clubs. And I don't think has been thought through. And I, yeah, I'm very unimpressed. <laughs> Another thing across the AFL that I want to quickly touch on is um, the Adam Cooney suspension. He got suspended for one week uh, for a, a very hard head-eye bump on Stephen Cornelio from GWS. Um, what are your thoughts on that suspension? Because it looked, um, you know, he went straight to the tribunal. The uh, you know the mm. board didn't um, didn't rate it. They just sent him straight to the tri- tribunal. For some reason, they went to Rodney Eden and got a character reference which I didn't even know was possible for <laughs> tribunal cases. Um, and he only gets one week. And you look at something like Tommy Jonas a couple of years ago when he nailed Dylan Robertson for from St Kilda, and he got three weeks for that, and this was almost identical. Well, I think anyone that's seen the footage knows that Kearney should be going for a lot more than a week. Um, there was I can't think of any reason why it would be less than that, and the idea that a character reference would even be accepted is laughable. Um, it... I mean, it really should be like, yeah, thanks, mate, not interested. Because what has character reference got to do with it? It's completely irrelevant. Um, It's supposed to be based on past record, which should be clear through actual suspension records, and it should be based on the incident itself. So the fact that it's even admitted is an absolute shambles and a complete embarrassment to the AFL. Um, And then obviously the result itself is quite embarrassing, but I suppose we're getting used to that from tribunal decisions. Uh, it certainly hasn't changed in the last, what, however long we've been in the league in the AFL. And... <sighs> it's, a, it's an absolute shambles. Janus? The whole thing's a joke. Sorry. You could not, you could not um, justify any other result than him getting at least like three weeks or something like that for that sort of that sort of hit, you know what I mean? But again, then you have a look at players like Lance Franklin when they do their thing and they just kind of get a week for what they do, you know? But then other players get more, I don't know, maybe it was some sort of like, oh, well, this happens, you know? And it's the MRP is not that bad, you know what I mean? Kind of like a stick up for what the tribunal is, the match re- review panel is doing rather than actually judging the case on merit rather than anything else. And... They say they don't look at precedents, but I reckon they do. In terms well, you of, have to. Uh, you know. If they looked at precedent, he would have got three games or two games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was hard enough. Canivio is missing this week. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a serious thing that happened. It's just another example yeah. of the AFL making complete and utter fools of themselves. It's a kangaroo. Look, I don't think Porsche's coming back. There's some sort of technical issues, which is uh, calls her line to drop out here. So I guess we will say farewell right now. Janus, thanks for coming on, buddy. It was a pleasure as always. Indeed. Porsche, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, Mako. That's wonderful. <laughs> I'll speak to you next week. And on that note, can the pair. Can the pair. Can the pair. Oh, what a handball from... Could be a catastrophic error. And Wingard can make it really, really sting. It's there, Wingard, from the dead point.